Father, thank you again. We experience your presence this morning in Sabbath school, that song you touched our hearts. Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit would continue to minister to us in this message. In his name we pray, amen. I heard a pastor, I think it was more Fandon, I'm not sure, but the title of my message this morning is Blessed Assurance. And he was speaking and he said, have you ever been in a meeting where the someone asked you, if Jesus would come tonight, would you be ready? And he said, I don't like that kind of that type of ministry. He said, because you know who they're going to be looking at. And he says, they have the nerve to ask you then to raise your head. And you know the first one that they're going to look at is going to be the minister and probably the first elder. And they're going to look at you to see how fast you raise your hand. And he said that, I had a bad time last week. I blew it yesterday. Today, I liked, I had car rage, road rage. And I remembered how my, how my, uh, Decisions that I would have to make tomorrow, tomorrow would would fail. And I remembered being a little unhappy with these questions. Can a person have a little a little privacy in his Christian religion? And every time it happened, I was repulsed by that kind of reproach. Until one day. So one day I began to ask myself, why do I not like that kind of approach? And I had to admit, because my hand didn't go up as fast as, as I thought that they thought it should. And why didn't my hand go up so fast? was because I thought what a miserable time I'd had last week how today the, the road rage and the patience I wouldn't have probably next week. And I realized something else, that my hope of eternal life was based on my behavior. And I believe that that is, and I agree with him 100%, I believe that that is what is so much wrong with our church today, the uncertainty that God's people have. If my behavior is my focus, and that is the basis of my theology, then I am going to be afraid until Jesus comes, because because if my salvation is not based on behavior, I'm going to be afraid. And this is sad, but I believe that this is true why so many people, why we see so many empty pews here in our church today. Well, there are some people that, that think that 
it is a little bit sinful to be to be certain that you are safe. And I think they get it from from the what's saved, always safe warning. You know, I, I like Dr. Charles Stanley. I think he preaches some of the best sermons I've heard on relationships and uh, uh, family life. And I can't tell a lot of difference, to be honest with you, because statistics have been been taken by by uh, Billy Graham's team, by our church. The bad, uh, most of the churches have taken statistics on this. And they believe it's only about 25% of Christians, of professed Christians, that are, have really been born again. That's scary when you think about it. Our prophet had the same thing to say. She come up with about the same figure. But the Apostle Paul and the writers that I read tells me that that we are supposed to be certain today. Uh, Dr. Stanley, he teaches that if you have never been, he goes along with these statistics. It's only about 25%. They've all come up with the same results. The statistics have been taken. And he says that they've never been born again. If they had, they couldn't, they couldn't have done these things. If Jesus had been born again and Jesus was living in their heart. Well, we believe they have been born again. And they, through discouragement, for some reason or the other, they have left, left the message. It is true that I believe that we can turn away and leave even after 20 years. Uh, Matthew 24 tells us that iniquity will abound and many will, many will leave the message. Matthew 24 tells us also that he that endears to the end shall be saved. So evidently, endearing has something to do with it. But, but am I certain today? Am I certain today? I better be. I better be. Someone was passing St. Francis of, of Assisi's place one day, and he was out hoeing his garden, and someone asked him, Francis, what would you do? What would you do if you knew that Jesus was coming tonight, he said, I would finish hoeing my garden. I remember I mentioned that on a Wednesday night. One lady here, she said, well, I sure wouldn't be hoeing my garden. I hate that she said that because she said that she wasn't ready. Someone asked, uh, uh, some, someone asked John Wesley, if you knew that you would die tonight, what would, what would, you, what would you do today? He said, I'd finish my plans that I had for today. Do you have that kind of certainty? Do you have that kind of certainty? Or would you run to the nearest phone that you could find and, and start trying to start trying to make amends or start trying to make restitution for all the wrongs that you have done? So this is a, there's a huge vacuum in the Christian church. And I would like to remind you that the Bible is not unclear on this. The Bible is not unclear on this subject. And according to 1 Thessalonians 1.5, because our gospel has come to you in simple words, 
but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Matthew seven twenty one to twenty three says, right here we have a we have a big clue. Remember the pastors that come to Jesus and told them all the things we have done. We have cast out devils. We've healed the sick. And he says, I don't know you. I do not know you. And evidently that is very important. That is the number one on on God's priority that we know him, that we know him. And I believe if we ask three questions on, on the Bible, in fact, the Bible answers we can have assurance. With the Bible lens, we can have assurance. Based on, based on uh, uh, my own evidence, I would like to ask these three, three questions today. The first question, have I been saved? Second question, am I being saved? The third question, will I be saved when Jesus returns? The questions, have I been saved? Have I ever come to, have, have I ever come to Christ? and accepted him as my Savior, my Lord, and my friend. If I have, I have been saved. If I have, I have been saved. How do I come to Christ? Well, we look at there's three tangibles. You can go through your Bible. You can underline everything that you can underline, the tangibles that what you can do to have that relationship. And you'll find uh, there's only three. Bible study, prayer, and Christian witness. So how do we come to Christ? We come to Christ through, through Bible study and prayer. So if we come to Christ through our own resources, which is hard sometimes, and it should not be. The Bible says, all you come to me that, are, that, are, that need rest or heavy laden, I will give you rest. That's easy, but we do everything that we possibly can because of our nature to fight against that. We do everything that we can to fight against it. Sometimes that is that can be very hard for some people that do not realize the truth. John six thirty seven they have has good news here. All those the Father gives to me will come to me, and I will, and who who whoever comes to me. I will never drive out. I will. We can leave, but I will never drive out. Regardless of what I am, someone says, where I have been and what, and what, I, what, I, what I have done. Yes, regardless, regardless. It makes no difference. One who comes to Jesus is always accepted, is always accepted, and this text has no date on it. Has no date on it like March the 30th, uh, uh, 2018 has no date on it. It's good up to May. The, has good up to that time. It has no name on it. Good only for Billy Graham, uh, Billy Sunday, uh, uh, George George Knight, uh, Doug Bachelor. It's good for you. It's good for you, and it's good all the time. It's good all the time. When we come to Christ and when we do according to Romans 5, 1, we are, trust, we are justified by faith. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean? 
there was a time that I used to stir away from the type, this type of theology. I didn't like these terms. Justification, sanctification, expiation, propitiation, reconciliation. Instead, I want to use school children terms. Instead of using justification, I used forgiveness. And I thought that was good. I thought that was good. Instead of using justification, I used forgiveness. I didn't realize, I didn't realize that it doesn't even come close to justification. Forgiveness doesn't even come close to justification. If I come, come to you, Clark, and I'd say, Clark, I lied to you about something. And uh, would you forgive me? And you would say, of course. You'd say, Glenn, we've been friends a long time. Of course I would forgive you. If I, but what would I be? I would be a forgiven liar. I would be a forgiven liar. When I was about, well, this happened when I was about 12. I had a bicycle route all the way from Stern to Southern, the last little uh, uh, house, and it was a beer joint called the Wobbles Inn, the last in Revelo. And uh, I delivered papers all the way from there, all the way through Stearns. And this was all, there was no 1651 then. This is all 27 through here, all the way from uh 1651 didn't exist. And uh, so I went out one morning and my bike was gone. I, I, that's what I delivered my papers with. And my dad come out and he said, well, let's get in the car. We'll try to find it. So we went toward Pinot. And in front of the Pinot Cemetery, there used to be a garage and a filling station. And I seen these men out, boys, looking at this bike. I got out, my dad stopped, we went over, it was my bike. Someone has stolen my bike, and someone had bought a stolen bike. Well, I put it in the car, my bike in the car, and my dad knew his dad, and he said, I think we should go and tell him. We, we went, and the boy wasn't there, but the dad was mad. He said, you just wait till he gets home. He'll get it, and I don't know what he got. But, but let's say that he was there. And he, uh, and he said, uh, Glenn, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I stole your bike. He would have been what? He would have been a forgiven thief. But if I'd, if, if, uh, when I lied to you, Clark, if I'd have went to Jesus, and I said, Jesus, I'm sorry, but I lied, I lied to this man, and I'm very sorry about that. He not only forgives me, he justifies me. Justifies me, he, I never lied. I never lied in my life. What about the, the man that stole my bike? If I went to him, and, and, or he went to the Lord, and I said, oh, Lord, I'm sorry I stole Glenn's bike. And the Lord would not only forgiven him, he would have justified him. He, would, he never was a thief. He never was a thief. No wonder we can have peace with God. No wonder we can have, have peace with God. And, and according to John 5, 24, we can have such peace that we won't even fear about the judgment. In fact, according to 5, 24, we won't even come to judgment. We won't even come to judgment. At count meeting, at the conference president spoke, and he, and he said, I'm not a theologian. But he said, it seems to me that 
that the way it works is to go to God and say, God, I really blew it. Please forgive me, God. Not only does he forgive me, he justifies me. And then maybe a week later I failed, made a mistake or something. I went back to God and I said, God, I'm so sorry. I did it again. He said, you did what again? How can you do something again when you've never done it before? And I like that. I said, wow, that, that's good. And so did another pastor. And he said, the other pastor, he said, he took it with him to, to an old-fashioned count meeting. And he said, uh, I was speaking at one, uh, one, that count meeting, and I told this story. I liked it. I told it. And he said, I didn't realize there were so many good people in the, in the audience. He said, and I never realized that good people could be so bad. He said that they came to the platform after the service, and they let me have it. They shouted at me. They let me have it. You don't have any business, they said, talking about that kind of, about that kind of forgiveness. Young people will start to play loose and free with, loose and free with, with uh, God's grace, and they will end up with cheap grace. He said they continued to, to get on me until the, they started to turn out the lights in the, in the auditorium. And he said, I just stood there and tuck it. And after, the, after, the, after they began to leave the platform, there was, a, there was a bad man. There was a bad man waiting in the audience, waiting in the shadow. And he was waiting for me. And he said, I wish I could be a Christian like these people that come to count meeting, but I, I can't. I'm too bad. I'm too bad. And I said, the greater sinner we are, the greater God we have. And the Bible doesn't tell you that you can't come to him, that you can't come. Oh, I, I know that. Everybody else can, but I can't. But I can't. You just don't know how bad I've been. And he began to tell me how bad he had been. And he began to tell me how bad he had been, and I stopped him. I stopped him, and I said, that's, that's, that's not important. That's not important. Jesus had promised to accept you. And you can count on it just as you are asked, just as you asked. That's a condition he will, and I continue to talk with him. And I remember that Jesus came to came to call the righteous, came not to call the righteous to, to uh, repentance, but sinners. And it kind of remind, reminds me of a, a pastor I heard one time say that he, he knew some, he, some, of, with some of the Christians, he said, I know, I can understand why Jesus preferred to eat with sinners. <laughs> but uh, remembered what Jesus, he said, you know who I was thinking of. When I talk about the righteous, they did not come to uh, call the righteous, but sinners. And he said, just who do you, who are you thinking about? Uh, the pastor said, when, when I read about the, the, the righteous. Here I was facing a bad man, and here I was thinking how refresh, refreshing it was to be with a bad man. And man, I wish that we had more base. I wish we had more bad men like that.
Because when he began to respond to the good news, my blood was singing in my veins. There's nothing more exciting than to bring a poor man to Christ. To bring a poor man to Jesus, nothing more exciting. Well, I began to think about that. And there was those that think that that would lead to cheap grace. And I decided that they were wrong. They were wrong. And I decided on some of my own highway experiences. Now, I decided this on my own highway experiences, too. And before I came down here about a year, my late wife died and uh, not birthed, the one before her. And I had been, she'd been in the hospital. She had seven major operations one year. And I'd been doing a lot of praying. I was on to work, and I was speeding. I was not thinking about the speed limit. The car, the police car pulled me over, walked up to the, asked me for my driver's license, and told me I was speeding, asked for my driver's license registration. And I, was reach, I reached in my pocket and ha- started to hand them to him, and he just said, forget it. Went back to his car, went back to his car, got in, and him and his partner, they went around me. I, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciated that grace, his grace and his mercy. And I believe that that's what true relationship with God is when we realize his mercy and his grace that he showed to us. And I believe if, you, if he'd throw the law at me, he, he could have made a rebel out of me. I believe going, and also going to work, or not going to work, but as down here, my life's wife, uh, we, I took her to uh, Oak Ridge, Tennessee, to, uh, to a specialist. And was coming back. Oh, thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. I was coming back on 75. I'd always heard Kentucky cars had should be very careful of state, Tennessee State Police. I found that that wasn't true. I went off 75 on 63 to come over to Old Ida and back up, here, back up here. And I still had my, still had my, still driving the speed limit, 70. Um, he pulled, and I told him where I'd been. He said, sir, this happened so many times. He said, they drive, come off of 75, and uh, they don't cut their crews off, and they forget that they're not on 75 now, they're on 63. And I think the speed limit was 55. I'm not absolutely sure, but it was lower speed than I was going. And he was nice. He was so nice, and, and it just, it just had a Christian attitude, I thought. And, uh, but I can, I drove religiously. I, relo- I drove religiously the speed limit on into to Oneida and back home. But some, uh, somebody tells you that grace, uh, mercy, doesn't count in the Christian life. Yes. That's how I've come to know the Lord Jesus. And I realized, when I realized how much he loved me, 
even before I was ever a Christian. Now, when I was a rebel, he loved me just as much then as he does today. And that broke my heart because I remembered the way I had lived. And, uh, and on the, and those that say that God's mercy will not make one obedient does not understand God's mercy, does not understand God's mercy. But if we really understand God's mercy, we would know that if we really understood it, we would want to obey him. We would, especially when we realize what he's done for us. Because we appreciate his mercy. And I believe that's the way it works. Can I answer the question, have I been been saved? And have you ever accepted Jesus as your Lord and your Savior and your friend? Then you have been saved. Then you have been saved. But that isn't all. That is only the beginning. That is only the beginning. The second question, am I being saved? Am I being saved? And that question, and the question goes with that, am I staying with Jesus? Am I staying with Jesus? Jesus... The, there is something equally as important as coming to Jesus, and that is staying with Christ. We believe, we believe once married, always married. I was, when I was a service, I was in for three years. I said, uh, two of those years was in sunny Panama City, Florida, Tenderfield Air Force Base, our university. I was there for two years. Then the second, then the third year, I was in Indianapolis, Indiana, Tenth Air Force headquarters, and uh, I started going with a the girl there. We fell in love, and when I got when I got uh, uh, when I was discharged, we got married. And talking to her after the marriage, and we hadn't discussed where we was going to live or anything. Hardly, we were very immature, I'd say. And uh, she said, "Well, I." can't leave Indianapolis. I've always lived here. And I said, I can't live here. We wished each other a happy life. And she went home with her parents and I would come to Kentucky to spend some time with mine. About 10 years later, one of the men I was working with said, Glenn, I hear that you're married and I've never seen your wife. Well, I said, I haven't seen her either since the wedding. (laughs) He said, what do you do? Do you call her? And I said, no. He said, do you, do you write each other? I said, no. He said, well, how can you say you're married? I said, I have a wedding certificate. I remember what the pastor said. He said, do you? And we both said, we do. And he said, you are. And I said, uh, I have a wedding certificate. What else do I need? If you've got a wedding certificate, you're married. And he looked at me like I was maybe odd. By the way, this is a parable. I hope you don't think I'm that stupid. <laughs> but go along with that. Compare this. I was sitting right where I always sat, in the pew there, and there's a lady behind me that I hadn't seen her before. And I think it was, this is about five or six years ago, and I believe it was Barbara Stronka sat by her. I'm not sure about the, one of our members. And I heard her call her by her name. So when I got up to leave, I went to Cindy, maybe we would call her Cindy. I reached back and shook hands. I said, Cindy, it's good to have you with us. We hope you'll come back. And uh, I hadn't got to the car. Here she come. 
Brother Glenn. And she seemed like she was disturbed. This is my church. This is my home church, and only two people here knew me. I didn't know her. I heard Barbara call her Sandy, and that's what I called her. Well, I've been here this month, 22 years, and I still haven't seen her. I hadn't seen her before, and I haven't seen her since. But if you would ask her, are you a Christian? She would have said, yes, I'm a Christian. I, uh, I belong to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Well, I would say, well, you know, someone might say to her, well, I've been to church. I never did see you there. She said, well, I haven't been there since the day, it was the day that I was baptized. What's the difference? What's the difference? I know another lady. And uh, she's, I've been here 22 years. I've, I know her well, and I like her. She's wonderful to her parents. But I've never seen her in church. But she tells everybody that she's a Seventh-day Adventist. And one of my sisters met her over in town, and she was smoking, and and this, uh, my sister said to me, I didn't think you folks spoke. I said, well, we're not supposed to. And, uh, but she does. And she said, it's all right. She let you know it. She spoke. She don't try to hide it. But, and I, the only way I've known her, she saved me a ticket. I like to run over. I'm not going to tell you this story. I like to run over a, a highway patrolman. He was... Well, you ask me sometime, I'll tell you about that story. And he looked in the car, and I was coming from, from church, and here's an old man with a walking cane and a Bible coming from church. Would you give him a ticket? And uh, he said, where, where do you go to church? I said, Stern, Seventh-day Adventist. He said, he said, I know an Adventist, and he named this lady's name. Maybe she... Save me from a ticket, I don't know. But if you ask her, is she the Seventh-day Adventist? Absolutely. She, she would tell you she's a Seventh-day Adventist and proud of it. And uh, someone might say to her, well, I've never seen you in church. I haven't been in church since the day I was baptized, but I have my baptismal certificate. I have my baptismal certificate. Can you see any difference? Can you see any difference? There, I believe, once married, always married, as long as you stay married, as long as you have that have that uh, uh, relationship. I think that's true with the with the church membership, and that is based on and that relationship is based on a a relationship, an ongoing personal relationship. A, a relationship with each other, with each other. I uh, went on, I never spent time away from, I never spent any time away from my wife. We loved each other. And the only time weekend I ever spent away from her, we was going to, was going to the World's Fair in Knoxville, Tennessee. My family was going, and, and we'd already made uh, uh We'd make an appointment to meet with them. She'd stay with her, with her mother and father. They were sick at the time, but I can't tell you how much I missed her. It wasn't, it wasn't that much fun. I didn't enjoy it that much because she wasn't with me. That's to me, that's the reason. It's, I, keep, I keep stay away from my Lord. 
I have appointments here each and every Sabbath, and I'll be coming as long as I can. When Glenn is not sitting in that seat, you'll know that something is wrong, something he is sick. But uh, we laugh at that relationship that I described, the, the parable that I described. But what about the relationship with our Lord Jesus? If you are in one of those meetings tonight, if you have to go to a meeting tonight, someone ask you, would ask the question, would you be ready if Jesus come tonight? Don't ask yourself. Don't ask yourself how that you have been performing lately. Don't ask yourself that. Ask yourself, have I talked to him today? Have I talked to him today? Does he know my address? Does he know my address? Can we join Billy Graham and say, I, I know that God is not dead. I talked to him today. That's the question. That's the question. And don't go into a long discouragement on how my behavior has been. And you can hear, hear people say, well, Glenn, you have just given us more things to do. What you have just done, you switched one type of rules for another. You Instead of all the commandments and the, the rules, now we have to spend all this time in Bible study and prayer. You just switched one kind of rule for another. And they ask, what's the difference? What's the difference? I would like to remind you that there is a big difference. There is a big difference. If Jesus would come in here today today, and walk down the, the aisles and look to you in those friendly eyes, and he would say to you, would you make a deal with me? Would you make a deal with me that you will never do anything wrong? What would you say? What would you say to him? Well, I know what I would say. I'd fall on my face and say, Lord, I can't do it. I can't do it. I would, even the little book, Steps to Christ, says that we will often have to fall on our face and fail, but we are not forsaken by God. We are not forsaken by God. Could Jesus walk in here today and say, can we have and an agreement that I could get to know know you get to know you could we could we make a bond and say yes that and you know the the weakest setter could agree to that the weakest setter could could agree to that they are because God you might be weak but God is not weak and wherever he, wherever you'd like to meet him, he will meet you, and he will reach. He will meet all of those that reach out to him, and respond to his call. So we are talking about a mission possible, and a mission impossible. There is a big difference, friends. There is a big difference. I'd like to say something else. If you are living. By performance, you know it's impossible. And you, you're living in fear. You have to be living in fear. If you're not trusting in what God has already done 2,000 years ago at Calvary, and if you, how can you love someone that you fear? 
I want to ask you that question. How can you possibly love someone that you're afraid of? To me, the answer is found in John 17, 3. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That is a priority, knowing him, having a personal relationship with him. He is my very best friend. He is my very best friend. That is not knowing, and that's knowing him. It's not knowing about him. That's knowing him personally. You know, before I was ever a Christian, I had friends that I would not stand up. My Lord has, you might not like what I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it. My Lord has made appointments with his children. And we see so many pews here that's empty. I will not stand him up. I will not stand him. I didn't stand my friends up. Now, there's times that we, we were sick. Jim and Murray just had a bad time of sickness. And God knows those times. And Florence, I think she'd be with us every week if she could. It's, it's When you love someone, you can't stand them up. I can't. I cannot. After what he's done for me, he's gone to Calvary. And I tell you, Sometimes I just weep, just thinking, how could anyone love me that much because of what I was? I will not stand my very best friend up, and there is a big, there is a big difference in trying to keep the rules than in knowing Jesus as my personal Savior. There's a big difference in keeping, in, in, in keeping the rules and knowing Jesus as my personal Savior. When Jesus is your personal friend, you will have that blessed assurance. You will have, I absolutely. If someone comes up and hasn't been to church in years and they say, well, I'm saved, I have the baptism or certificate, I can tell you one thing. If you ask them, have they read the Bible today? If they are truthful with you, they'd say no. They would have to say no. Because if you keep, if you stay in that Bible every day through prayer and relationship with him, talking to him as your very best friend, you couldn't stay away. You couldn't stay away because you would not you would not stand up your very best friend. Let us pray. Father in heaven, help us to understand and know you you as our best friend. Help us to understand your amazing grace and your love for us. Help us to understand, Father that there's no one ever loved us like you do. And Father, I, you made it so clear to me. The Bible makes it clear. So Father, help us to get in the Bible. Help us to pray. And Father, if we get into the Bible and trust his word, we're going to fall in love with him. We will know him. He will become our very best friend. And we'll always have that blessed assurance. Amen.